Pastors Larry and Tiz welcome you to another New Beginnings Church podcast. Go deeper into God's Word with practical messages and lifestyle studies that will equip, inspire, and encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. Get ready to be fit for life. What we're going to learn about this morning or study is the story of Esau and Jacob. If you grew up in church, then you have lots of stories about what Esau believed in and what Jacob believed in and who the dad liked best and who the mom liked best. And you may have even had a judgment against the mother because when the words were translated, it made her sound kind of manipulative in the story. Or you may have had a judgment about Jacob because some of the things that he did when the words are interpreted in our Bible make him sound manipulative. Pastor Larry teaches that because our English language doesn't always have the perfect translation from Hebrew, sometimes we miss some of the richness of the stories. And he always uses the example that um, if if in the Bible it talked about somebody riding um, a Harley hog, (laughs) in today's society we would know what a Harley hog is. But maybe a hundred years from now someone would be reading that and they would think that they had to ride around on a large pig. So I've listened to that story from Pastor Larry for a long time, and it's like, okay, how, how else can I explain the difference between the true meaning in a Jewish word and how we may have misinterpreted it? Well, in our language, how many definitions do we have for two? Three. The number two, I'm going to, and then two also, meaning also. So T-W-O, T-O, and T-O-O. Now, can you imagine how confusing that is for someone trying to learn English? Well, the same is true in the Hebrew language. If you were here when uh, Rabbi Lappin was teaching, and he said that each letter uh, is kind of a picture as well as having a numeric meaning, so their language is very rich and very, very deep with meaning. He also mentioned, and I found this interesting because I should have known it, but I never put it together, The Hebrew language has never changed. So what was written in Torah, all those words and all those letters and all those symbols, he said, if you picked up a little kid on the street in Israel today, they would be able to read that language and they would be able to understand it. And at first I thought, well, what's the big deal about that? And then it's like, well, languages change as cultures change. And what may have been written at one time with the meaning, when it's read later on down the road, it does not have the same meaning. Now, I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. And there was a very upscale uh, men's shop across from the college there. And everybody shopped there because, you know, if you were a brand snob, then that's where you got the best brands. And if you were on a budget, they had great sales. So there were two reasons for people to show up at that. But the name of that shop was called the Gay Blade. Now, in the 60s and 70s, she's laughing on the front row, on the 60s and 70s, that just meant somebody that was really happy. They were really cool. They were really involved. But because we all kind of smiled, they changed their name as the language, the English language changed the meaning of words. 
So knowing that, if we go back and read Hebrew in its original intention, we can find a better, more accurate explanation of the Bible. Now, I have always believed and known, I should say I, I, I know for sure, the, the story of salvation is very plain. You can barely be able to read the Bible, and you would see God's love. You would see the plan of salvation. You would see that Jesus came not to change the religion, but Jesus came to complete it. The Jewish nation had kind of started with the Torah, first five books of the Bible, and then had gotten more and more legalistic and more and more mean-spirited, really. It was like, you know, you're doing it wrong. They became more of a, you're, you're doing it wrong rather than, Join me while, while I can show you how it's right. <laughs> I think the church in America for well, at least the last few years that I have known, for the last 20 years, has also become a group of people, not anybody in this room, you're not like that, but it's also become a group of people who point out what's wrong rather than encouraging someone for what's right. Now, how many of you were at Ladies' Night Out this past Thursday to hear? Okay, so you heard a testimony from one of our staff members here. And over and over again, it became apparent to me that she was being discipled, not by what someone wanted her to know, but anytime she asked, they would say, let's see what the Bible says. Now, Don and I, um, when we came back to walking with the Lord, Don was mentored by a uh, man in the church that I had grown up with his daughters. And his name was Barney McLean. And anytime Don or I ask a question, Barney would never give his opinion. He always said, let's see what the word says. Now, I'll be real honest with you. It's much easier to give your opinion. You don't have to know the Bible reference. <laughs> you don't have to have the Bible with you, even though we carry it on our phones. You don't even have to have the correct interpretation of what the Bible says. You can just say to somebody, no, this is what you ought to do. No, you shouldn't do that. And I think what God is saying through this study of Jacob and Esau is be very cautious and careful how you read and interpret my word, because you may be reading it incorrectly. So let's take a look here. We know that uh, Abraham married Sarah, and uh, they had Isaac. Isaac was the chosen one. Isaac was the one that um, God had intended to get the blessing. And so uh, Isaac and Rebekah got married, and they had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, Rebecca was childish, uh, had no children for a long, long time, and then God allowed her to conceive. And she was very, very concerned because the pregnancy was very hard on her. She didn't know that she had twins. They didn't have ultrasound back then. But they had something else that I think spiritually was far more common than what we think today. In biblical times, for when Torah was, was written, they had prophets who would speak over a mother who was pregnant with children to kind of explain what was going on. And the prophets that godly people went to were actual prophets. They spoke for God. So let me read you here. <laughs> um, that, but the children, I'm in Genesis uh, 25, by the way. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, 
two nations, by the way, I'm in Genesis 25 and I'm now in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Now, in our society today, that is no big deal. Bad pregnancy, okay, yeah, they're both going to live, okay, they're going to be strong. But in biblical times, the eldest child was the one that accepted the responsibility of being in charge of carrying the, the family message forward. The oldest child was the one that was responsible to make sure the parents were taken care of. The oldest child was responsible for kind of making some financial decisions and making sure that the family was going to be okay. Now, I've always laughed and joked and said that I'm in a mixed marriage because I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon, on the West Coast. And honey, my husband was born and raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Now, in Portland, Oregon, it didn't matter your birth order. Uh, that whoever was the smartest and the strongest kind of took over. But in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, they're still operating on the same principles as here. The eldest child makes decisions for the family. Even to the point that when Don's mother was trying to make decisions about who to marry and what to do, the eldest brother was the one that said, no, you won't marry that man. Now, I have to tell you, on the West Coast, it wouldn't have come down the way that it came down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. <laughs> On the West Coast, it would be like, yeah, you and the horse you rode in on, I'm marrying this guy. I love him. But tradition and actually protection um, still rules in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So let's see. Sarah hears this. Or excuse me, Rebecca hears this. She knows that there's going to be a change in the traditional order of her children. And she knows that they are warring inside of her. And so she births these two babies. Now, you'll hear Pastor Larry every once in a while talk about um, ancient Jewish wisdom. And when he says that, that's kind of code for this is not necessarily written in the Bible. But when you study Jewish history and when you study rabbis who have made commentaries about the Bible and their history, um, it adds some flavor to it especially looking at history, because that has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with actual events that took place in the nation of Israel. So here is sweet little Rebecca having these two kids, knowing that God had given her a word, and how was this going to play out? Well, the Bible tells us that Esau was a hunter. He was an outdoor guy. And again, when we read it with our Western mentality, we just visualize someone like, um, you know, a hunter. Probably he had a pickup truck that was all beat up and had a gun rack on the back and probably had a fresh uh, kill in the back of the bed and he knew how to skin it and he, he probably had antlers hanging all over, uh, which was kind of distasteful to his mother. <laughs> and Jacob has always been interpreted as more of a bookworm, kind of a softy, but that isn't what it means in, in Jewish history. In Jewish history, Esau, they said, was a man who was full of passion. He had interests in all kinds of things that were not spiritual. He, well, they say he's like, he was like energy that was just out there. Every emotion that he felt, he acted on it. Every desire that he wanted, he did it. And the, the rabbis teach he was a lot of energy without a vessel to contain it. Now, what that means is probably in today's society, we'd say that they were a hothead, that they were somebody that was always out getting into mischief. 
they had no restraint. So I thought, well, this is interesting. If Jacob, or excuse me, if Esau is described that way, how might Jacob be described? So I'm doing some research to figure out how, how is Jacob? Well, Jacob loved the Lord. Ancient Jewish wisdom says that even when the two of them were in the womb, they were fighting because Esau had no restraint. And Jacob knew that the family lineage was going to require someone to carry on the message of God. The Jewish nation, they were the keepers of the word. Pastor Larry also teaches that when God was looking for a people to accept the responsibility of carrying the word, that he went to a number of people groups. And most of them said, well, it sounds good, but what's in it for us? Or what do you want us to do? Or why are we going to do this? They asked questions, and God said, just do it, and then you'll understand. And they said no. And it was the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and probably Abraham, <laughs> who said, all right, I believe you're God. Abraham grew up in a territory where there were lots of gods, all kinds of um, idols, all kinds of stuff, but he knew intuitively that that was not correct. So when God called him out of his land, that's probably when God said to him, will you obey me? And without question, he said, yes, I will. So the Jewish people have always said, we will do, then we will understand. Now, how contrary is that to the Western mentality? How many times do we hear a word from God and go, oh, that ain't God. And then we grab a hold of the passion that we want and we pray a blessing over that passion and say, God, I know this is your will. Bless this. But Abraham knew the difference. He knew that God would lead him in places that perhaps weren't so easy, that weren't so socially accepted in order for him to be blessed. Well, let's take a look. If you were Sarah, and Abraham is saying, we're going to leave everything, it's kind of like being in New York City. Everything happens in New York City. There's the best shopping, the best food, the most excitement. And all of a sudden, some guy says, we're going to move to Kenya. Pardon me? Yeah, God told me to move to Kenya, take the family. Wait a second. There's no stores in Kenya. There's no, no shopping. There's not even education. How can you possibly, this can't be from God, because we wouldn't have our children raised in an area without a school and an education. There's not even a church over there where you want to go. I mean, from a woman's standpoint, think of that. From a man's standpoint, think of it. Honey, we're going to move to Kenya. Whoa, wait a minute. We're not going to Kenya. There's no education. There's no shopping. There's no school. There's not even good medical. You kind of see, I mean, we gloss over these stories in the Bible thinking, oh, how fun. Abraham and Sarah left, and it was a wonderful adventure. No, it was hard. It was hard. Well, let me get back to my Esau and Jacob. So Jacob, from birth, according to ancient Jewish wisdom, knew that he had a responsibility to carry forth Torah, knew that he was going to be responsible to hold the message of God and, and carry that forth. He continued to study. He continued to pray and learn. And it wasn't that he was, you know, a pale-skinned wuss. <laughs> what he was was a godly man who had interest in learning what God wanted someone to do. Esau, on the other hand, and this is according to history, was a man of violence. I don't see that as I read the Old Testament. I don't see that it mentions that. But history tells us that Esau killed a number of people. 
And even though in the Western world, when we read the story in the Old Testament, we see Jacob as someone that was a, was a sneaky person. Esau wasn't sneaky. He was just blatant. He killed people. He took a look at his parents and he said, huh, dad, you didn't marry mom until you were 40. So I'm not going to get married until I'm 40 because it'll show you that I really care about following your traditions. However, history tells us that he, and there's children in here, took advantage of other women on a regular basis all through his maturing years. He never honored not marrying until he was 40. He just didn't put a legal contract to all of his relationships. I know, until he was 40. Uh-huh. You don't pick all this up in, in our Western Bible, but when you pair it with history, then you see it. In fact, um, he was so violent that the two women that he chose to marry were not from the Jewish faith. They were from other people, and one commentary said that one of the, the wives that he married, um, she was pagan and she burned incense and that that's part of the reason that Abraham lost his, uh, Abraham, Don, you're going to have to help me with these names. That's part of the reason that, that um, Isaac lost his sight. She was burning incense and it b- bothered his eyes and he lost his sight. Now, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. So another commentary said that God allowed Isaac to lose his sight so that he wouldn't see and be pained by all of the things that Esau was doing. It also implies that in Isaac's older years, he was not as spiritually attached to the word of God as he had been originally. He also gave in to some of his earthly desires and pleasures. And he enjoyed hearing the hunting stories from Esau because they were exciting. As I was reading that commentary, I was thinking, well, how can that be? And then I flashed back. Um, I don't know how many of you were in the church when Pastor Larry went on his lion hunt. Yeah, he went on a lion hunt. And they were out in the... (laughs) forest, whatever. He had guides with him and so forth. And the lion charged him and they were uh, taking video footage of it. And so he shot the lion. Uh, He said he shook for two days. But when he came back, all of us were really excited to look at that footage. And it was scary, but it was like, oh my gosh. So as I was reading and studying this yesterday, it was like God said, remember when you were excited to see Pastor Larry's footage of killing the lion? Yeah. Well, that's how Esau entertained his dad. He gave him stories about hunting. And the dad gravitated towards Esau. That was his favorite. The mom, who later on in this story we realize kind of pulled a shenanigan on her husband, she, however, had been straight true to the prophecy that had been given to her about the children. She realized that even though it didn't look right in the natural, that God had an order, and she hung on to that. I don't know, because it's not a male or or female thing, but God often gives us a vision of something. And he usually does it at a, a season when we aren't prepared to step into it yet. And we have that vision, and then we try to figure out how to get there. And that's how we get so messed up. <laughs> a lot of times, the person, that the, the company we're to work for, the church we're supposed to go to, it's out there, but we try to fill it with a whole bunch of other things. I don't know how many of us have the Esau 
anointing to where we take care of every emotion, we act on it, every earthly desire, we, we pleasure ourselves. And you're saying, oh, no, 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 I'm a disciplined person. Well, in history, actually, Esau was fairly disciplined as well. He wasn't seen as a complete jerk. But when I was reading it, and maybe I'm just preaching to myself here this morning, when I was reading it, it was like, huh, how many times do I act on an emotion? How many decisions do I make thinking that, okay, this will help me get there when God is going, oh, Nancy, no, no, that's the wrong turn. You see, what we need to learn is that God is in control even when circumstances look horrible, and he is God, and even if we don't get what we're believing for, he is still God. And if we act on emotions or beliefs or something that we're trying to strive to get, we're kind of saying that that is our God. Hang with me here. How many people do we know who have been given a diagnosis of a disease, and we prayed, and we stood in faith, and we were believing for total healing, and they died? Sometimes that's an opening, a spiritual wound, a soul wound that causes someone to back away from God. I understand this because when I was diagnosed with cancer and when I was going through getting my healing, both doing what I was, well, actually, I was out on thin ice. I didn't do what the medical profession recommended. I went another route. So I made that decision based on what God had told me, and I started down that pathway, and the tests that came back about my cancer were worse and worse and worse and worse. And I came to a point where I had to say, either I trust you or I don't. Either I am living over here as the healed, and even if you kill me, I trust you. And I'm waiting for the natural to line up with the word of God. Now, it wasn't a decision that I read in a book and decided, yeah, God wants people healed. He's a healer, so he's going to heal me. Uh-uh. No, it came because God spoke to me about this is how your healing is going to come. And it was not an easy way. And it was not a popular way. <laughs> I used diet and nutrition and prayer, changing my lifestyle. I mean, I wasn't a bad person. I just happened to like stress. I like three phones ringing at the same time. I like lots of people coming with problems. That gets me excited. But it doesn't take care of this body that my spirit rests in. <laughs> so I had to learn to ah, exhale and rest. I still have a hard time resting. I, I like stress, but it did not serve me with taking care of my health. Okay, moving on. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord, and maybe you have gone through enough to where you too are saying, even if he kills me, yet I will serve him. That's from Job. <laughs> or even if this doesn't work out, yes, I will serve him because he is God. Even if he calls me away from what I'm secure with, all of my friends all of the comforts of the land, and pulls me out into the desert, yet I will serve him. Well, let's get back to Esau and Jacob here. As you're aware, in the very beginning, um, <laughs> the birthright was um, sold, and a lot of times the Bible talks about Jacob tricking Esau. Well, the truth is, and the rabbis say that Esau had no respect or regard for his responsibility as the firstborn. He was not impressed with biblical things, with God. He did not value it. 
So it was no big deal for him to come in from hunting and, and be really hungry. And his brother had been, been making stew. And so he said, yeah, you can have my birthright because he didn't value it. He didn't value it. So rather than looking at this story like maybe a lot of us have had with flannel gra graph theology, you know, when you had a flannel graph board and the characters walked across it and they talked about uh, Jacob tricking his brother, uh -uh. Jacob just stepped in and took what had not been valued by his brother so that he could hold on to it and value it. So that's number one. Number two, at the death of their father, when Esau went out to hunt, because that's what daddy had asked for, I want some of your good meat. Please go out hunting and bring me back some good stew. Once again, the father was looking at his earthly desires rather than checking in with God and saying, I'm getting ready to pass to heaven. What do you want me to do? He gave in to his earthly pleasure. So Esau went out hunting. Mama fixed some stew and sent her younger child in for the blessing. Now, it does tell us that um, Isaac was kind of suspicious, but he went ahead and believed that he had the right son and gave the birthright, or get, yeah, gave the blessing. Now, again, in um, biblical history, that blessing was huge. It would be kind of like signing over the corporation to your, your child, giving them uh, power of attorney, setting up a trust for the whole family, putting them in head of it, making them the head of the estate that you're leaving. So it's not just a cute little God bless you and good night. It was a major thing. Well, the Bible tells us then that Esau came in, was furious at Jacob, was going to kill him, which was not a new thing. Esau had killed a lot of people already. So Mama Rebecca said, get out of here. Get out of here. Protect yourself. Get out of here. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Get out of here. So Jacob left on his mom's instructions and went to live with an uncle. That's where he found the two wives. Again, the tradition is the oldest one had to be married first. So that's how he got stuck with Leah. By the way, side note, uh, he didn't get stuck with Leah. Um, biblically in our Bible, it says she had weak eyes. Well, it's one of those things about, you know, two, it, they weren't weak eyes. She wasn't, you know, dim in her eyes. They were pretty eyes. She had pretty eyes. So because in the historical wedding, a bride was all covered except for her eyes, that's why he didn't recognize that it wasn't the woman he loved, that he didn't recognize that it was Rebecca. So she had pretty eyes. For those of you that wandered in just a little bit late, um, not, not to <laughs> point you out, but I was talking about how our language, uh, two, has three meanings in the English language. The number two, saying, I'm going to the store, T-O, or Come with me also. We have come with me too with two O's. So T-O-O, T-O, and T-W-O. They all sound the same, but they have different meanings. So that's why we have to go to history to say, okay, what does the Bible mean? And again, the plan of salvation and the love of God is obvious throughout the Bible. There's nothing hidden about that. But some of the more, what I call sweet issues, the things that we chew on and go, oh my gosh, they are kind of hidden. And what I wanted to talk about today is that how sometimes we make judgment decisions on things. We have a judgment on Rebecca. We have a judgment on Esau. We have a judgment on Jacob. And yet, from a biblical standpoint, they each played a role in making sure that God's gift of his word went forward. 20 years, Jacob 
was with his uncle. And then God said, go back home. Now, I, again, have always read that or seen it in flannel graph theology and thought, oh, that must be nice. He's thinking about going back home and seeing everybody again. No, no. He was uprooting two daughters from his father-in-law, their children. God had blessed him because he listened to God. He didn't just read the stock market and figure out what to buy. He listened to God, and God told him, go here, go there, buy this, buy that, so that he was a very wealthy man. But he was afraid. He obeyed, but he was afraid. Jacob had continued, excuse me, Esau had continued living a wild, um, horrible lifestyle. Again, historically, killing people at will. So Jacob's thinking, oh, my brother. So Jacob starts out to go back, and he stops before he enters the land, and is like, Lord, show me what it is that I'm supposed to do. Show me how, how to make peace with my brother. And God gave him some wisdom, but don't you know sometimes when God gives us direction, it takes some of our earthly wisdom to figure it out? You see, Jacob had three plans, three plans. He sent all of those gifts ahead in order to soften the heart of his brother. And as he was making a decision in the Jewish culture, they would only send forth kosher animals. But Jacob thought, my brother doesn't value Torah. So I don't want him to think I'm holding anything back. So some of those gifts that he sent to his brother were non-kosher animals. He sent camels and donkeys. <laughs> because he did not want to stir up trouble with his brother. He wanted to honor his brother. Now, how often do you hear that on a Bible story? I mean, you really have to go back to history and say, okay, what happened? Who came in? Why was it the way that it was? So his first thought was that I will send gifts to soften him up. Then his second thought was, if he still is going to kill me, then I need to divide up my family. I need to have part of him on one side and part of him on the other. So at least I have some to stay with me. And he said, and then I will bow before him and honor him. So he had three plans in the natural hoping that he could come to Esau and not be killed. Now, when word came back to Jacob that Esau was coming with 400 men, you know, we think, hmm, well, he probably, you know, wanted to help his brother. Uh-uh. Esau was coming to kill him. He had 400 of his warriors. His intent, his natural passion, what he wanted was to get revenge and kill his brother. But he saw the gifts that were coming, and then he saw his brother, and biblically it talks about how they fell on each other and, and kissed and cried. But rabbis are saying that the kiss was a false kiss from Esau to Jacob. He didn't mean it. He was trying to soften him up so that he would let down his guard so he could kill him. But in that instance, after he kissed him and they were hugging and crying, Esau softened. Because Jacob did what God told him to do. Because Jacob used his mental mind to make decisions about three ways to honor his brother, and Jacob used honoring God to have reconciliation. Well, there was reconciliation. However, it didn't mean that they had Thanksgiving dinner together. History tells us that they made peace, went their separate ways, and lived independently. They didn't go to family reunions together. You say, well, that seems kind of sad. No, Esau was a man of passion. He continued 
I don't have little ones in here anymore. He continued raping and pillaging the girls around. Any woman that he saw that he wanted, he took. Anything that he wanted, he would kill the person to get it. This is history, not biblical. God didn't want to tell us everything about Esau because we would hate him so much. So in his word, he only told us a slice so that we would understand. But as you dig through and, and historically and then what the rabbis are saying, it's like, wow, have I made a judgment against somebody like Jacob because of what somebody said? Have I made a judgment against somebody because of what I saw them do? And maybe that was what God wanted them to do? Maybe moving, although it seemed crazy, was God's will? Maybe leaving a family unit and, and kind of being off by yourself is God's will? It doesn't fit my vision of, of traditional Thanksgiving meals, but maybe I need to back off of my judgments and say, Lord, you're up to something here. And then instead of being do this and don't do that, I can be more of, let's see what it says in God's word. Let's see if God will give us some kind of an answer for this issue. Well, as we know, Jacob continued on. He was the chosen one. And even when Rebekah was doing things that appeared to be unrighteous in the natural. Rebecca was the one that had stayed true to the call of God. She remembered the prophetic word that was given to her when she was pregnant. She knew that her husband was old and blind and that he was beginning to drift from his original call. And so she wanted to make sure that God's plan was carried out. And that's why she did what she did. I don't know who you know that's an Esau. And I don't know who you know that is a Jacob. I don't think anybody in this room is an Esau. <laughs> but you may be a Jacob who has been pulled out from what you wanted, pulled out from the land, pulled out from the family unit, pulled out from things that you were believing were going to happen. And yet we see in the end it's God's plan. One of the rabbis that I read, he said, uh, we can't ever decide where we are on where we're going because we never understand life until we get to where we are and look back. And I was reading that over and over and over again, and it's like, okay, explain this to me. And for those of you that have been in my classes, you know that honey's not my first husband. So it's like, okay, how, how did that happen? How did that work? How, how did I go through all of that? And it's like, well, you made a decision based on emotion. Now, I'm not saying I was Esau, <laughs> but I am saying that I made a decision based on emotion. And I had to go through some things in order for me to find the man that I'm supposed to be with. And he was not who he is today when we met, just like I was not who I am today when we met. But God was up in heaven, moving things around, making things happen circumstance-wise, so that when we finally got together, finally got married, finally said, okay, we are one and we're going to serve God, then he said, okay, now I can unravel the plan that I had for both of you. I don't make a judgment about my first husband. We're, we're covered by the blood of Jesus and we're forgiven. So I don't carry that baggage. I don't walk with that wound, that bad decision. I don't walk with anything that I have done in my past because the only person that brings those things to my memory is the devil. And if I go to God and start bemoaning it and God's going, I don't know what you're talking about because the blood of Jesus covered that. 
and I don't see it anymore, and I don't know why you're talking about it. So today, as we close, just remember, your past may not have been perfect. You may have made some decisions that your mother or your mother-in-law looked at and went, oh, my gosh, or parents or a teacher or a friend. But it's never too late to step back into the pathway of God and say, even if you kill me, I'll serve you. Even if it makes no sense to me, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to attach my love and my service to you to my circumstances. Even though you're pulling me away from my family, even though you're pulling me away from the territory that I know and I understand, even though you're pulling me away from the company and the job that I have, I'm not going to consider this a curse. It's not Satan stealing from me. Lord, it's you taking me to the place where I'm supposed to be. We don't have to worry about being an Esau or a Jacob. What we can worry about is nothing. Find the peace of God that passes all understanding. Realize that we are not attached to circumstances here in this world. And that if we follow the pathway of God, our future will be such a blessing and such a joy that we'll look back and go, how could I have ever doubted this? At the time, it seemed horrible. But now I see it was part of God's plan. Amen? Well, I was in marketing in corporate America. Um, I, like I said, I don't normally teach anything Jewish. And just so that you're aware, marketing doesn't operate by any rules of um, honesty. Uh, my job as someone in marketing is to get your attention and make brand recognition. And then once I have your attention, then the people that you talk to for whatever product or service that I'm marketing for, it's their responsibility to follow the law. So when I said to God, why would you have me teaching this today? And he said, you're marketing. It's like, what? And he said, everybody has a preconceived notion of Jacob and Esau. And he said, what you're doing is you're showing them that there's more to the story. You're showing them that history also has to be reviewed. You're showing them that they need to study a rabbi to figure out the richness and my plan so that they won't be startled when circumstances go against them. So this is marketing 101 for the story of Esau and Jacob. <laughs> and just realize that um, if you don't know where to study, come see me. I study the same websites that Pastor Larry does. Some of it, again, is, is way out there. And those things, it's like, eh, I don't need to know that. But some of it is very rich. And uh, it takes a mature believer to study all those pieces. But everybody in this room is a mature believer. So let me give you a, a blessing and a prayer as we leave. And uh, thank you for being here. Heavenly Father, we come into your throne room, and Lord, we are so thankful that we can go to your word, and we can study things that aren't obvious and realize how much you care for us. And Father, forgive us for looking at circumstances. Forgive us for giving in to emotions and feelings, anger, lust. Forgive us. Help us to fill ourselves up with you. Let us be so full of the knowledge of you, the grace of you, the love of you, that we aren't even tempted anymore to do anything that's outside of your will. Thank you that we don't look at rules as this is what we have to do, that we know to go to you in prayer and listen, and that you will tell us what we need to do. Bless everyone in this room. Bless everyone who's going to be listening to it later on, Heavenly Father, and let us all have a hunger to know more about your word. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you.